There's a perception that you've got to spend less to make more. It's not necessarily the case. It's about how you utilize that spending to optimize your efficiency and drive an increase in revenue. So what those guys are doing, they're, they're, they're typically spending the same amount on, for example, your input costs. And of course, that's increased significantly over the last 12 to 18 months, uh, particularly in the areas of your fuel, fertilizer and chemical, which are typically high uh, expenses within the businesses. So it, it's pretty much a level playing field between the bottom 25% and the top 25% in those areas. It's more so around how the top 25% are driving an increase in revenue is, is where the difference lies. Welcome to Boots Off, Log On, a podcast where we talk all things farm business, a show about the business of farming, bringing you insights and wisdom from the leaders in farm business, helping you minimise risk and maximise return on all your hard work. I'm David, and I'll be your host for the show. Today, I'm talking about building horticultural business capacity with Bronson Gledhill, a partner at ag consulting firm Plant Farm in Western Australia. Bronson talks about what they've learned after two to five years of benchmarking and how you as a vegetable or poem grower can lift your core profitability. A not to miss episode for all vegetable and poem growers with key business lessons for all farmers of any industry. Now over to Bronson. Um, well, welcome to the podcast, Bronson. Um, and we're going to be talking today about horticulture, which is a different one for the podcast today. But before we get stuck into all that detail, Bronson, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? So are you a horticultural boy by birth or you um, come from other parts of the world? No, it's uh, great to be here, Dave. Thanks for having us on. So my background is not actually in uh, horticulture or agriculture at all, to be honest. Uh, my dad grew up on a family farm, uh, worked on that for a long time before becoming uh, a, a stock agent and moving away, and I guess that his passion didn't really lie there. So I guess growing up, always sort of wanted to be a farm boy, but we'd sort of moved away from that area a little bit. Uh, he was became stocky and then he's now uh, owns and runs a real estate agency down in home. So I am a country boy. I'm from Manjim up and surrounded by horticulture a lot. Um, I, I guess my passion really came from the point when I moved away to boarding school um, up in Perth, being with a lot of, a lot of boys uh, there that grew up on family farms and that was pretty much all we talked every day. So <clears throat> I guess that's where the passion came from and then into uni and found myself where I am today. Oh, very good. Yeah, those boarding houses, are well, they're probably a bit more mixed these days, but they're often just, a, you know, 200 farm boys living together in a house, aren't they? That, that's, that's pretty much exactly it. And I, I don't think that there was any conversations that went outside of farming, football or cricket pretty much. So um, that was pretty much all we had to talk about. Yeah, and then you get the odd guy for who's, who's, um, his dad works in oil and gas somewhere and he's from Singapore or the Emirates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're funny <laughs> buggers. <laughs> yeah, so, so no, it's, a, it's a, certainly a, a fun place, you know. Um, so let's get into this project. So you're um, a partner with Plan Farm and you, Plan Farm and um, I think now I'll get it right, you better introduce Veg WA and Pom WA yep. have been running this uh, project. 
Um, can you, um, so this is the Building a Horticultural Business Capacity Project. So can you just give us all, a, um, you know, a quick overview? What is this project and what is it aiming to deliver? Yep, so it's a project in conjunction with uh, Veggies WA and Pome West, as, as you suggested there, Dave. It's also funded through um, a big contribution uh, with DPIRD and Horticultural Innovation. So they're, they're another funding partner. And I guess in collaboration with us, we are providing an extension to a previous project that we had. So initially, uh, we had a project in 2015 that was purely benchmarking that ran from 2015 to 2018. And as an extension to that, uh, there was a particular interest in us, I guess, applying that knowledge, uh, our knowledge from consulting joint with the benchmarks um, to provide a service similar to what we do in the broadacre industry, which I'm sure that many of the listeners would be aware of what we're doing um, in broadacre. So it's a similar sort of a service. So we sit down with clients and we go through their financials and production and pretty much provide that consulting service just uh, in a nature that applies uh, to horticultural businesses. Yeah, and now for the people, so as you probably mentioned, a lot of our listeners come from the broadacre space. So they're, you know, we're all farming, but horticulture and um, the palm industry are very different, obviously, to wheat and sheep and cattle. So can you just explain the difference between, say, the the veggie part of the industry and the palm part of the industry? Because even I had to Google the word palm and I've been around for a while. So yeah, just tell me I that. know, I know. I should have touched on that earlier. So I guess vegetables is, uh, I'm sure the majority of people be aware of, of where that lies and it does encapsulate a, a fair few different types of vegetables. However, there are some industries which lie outside of that. For example, uh, the onion industry in some states, potatoes, avocados and uh, vegetables like that, or, you know, things like that that lie outside of that. So uh, I guess for poem itself is just think of apples and pears when you think of that and orchard uh not quite all of orcharding uh that doesn't include your stone fruit such as your plums and things like that but pretty much when you hear the word poem uh we're referring to apples or pears in the majority of cases yeah so donnybrook country pretty much donnybrook country <laughs> yep yep so um the uh, I think I, I googled it and I think poem is actually the I think it's the botanical name for an apple or a pear or the the genus of an apple or a pear. I think. Yeah, it's a bit more technical than uh, what what we talk about day to day, Dave. I'm sure, but um, <laughs> if that that's the way they want to call it and that's the name of the um, organisations that we're working with, so that that's just the the broader name and yeah, that's pretty much what it is. It's a little bit shorter than the uh, West Australian apple and pear and other fruits that are aligned industry, isn't it? Yeah, I know. It just about sounds like an acronym of some sorts, but uh, no, nah, it's just, yes, no. just a <laughs> nice little name for it, which is good. Great. Now, let's get into the report. So part of the, the work you've been doing with this building capacity is obviously the benchmarking part, which is obviously really trying to find out where the industry is at. So you've you've run uh, from what I've read. I've read the twenty twenty one and the uh, or the nineteen twenty and the twenty twenty one reports. Yep, both which are uh, similar but also very different. Can you just 
gain us through. So what massive, or not massive, but just what insights have you gained from those two years in the context of benchmarking with, um, you know, those two industries? Yeah, so I guess that there's insights that continue to show every day as we continue to work with these guys and we continue to understand the industry and the operations that lie within. But I guess um, some of the major things that jump out is the clear, I guess, lack of understanding of the true profitability of the businesses. And don't get me wrong, these guys and women are, are highly... Um, advance and invested in the success of the business and and the day-to-day work that they do is incredible but I think that there's just seems to be through work um, potentially with the accountant uh, the reporting that they do and I'm not discounting accountant work by any means here either but um, the reports that they typically are provided through an example of a P&L isn't necessarily the true profitability of the business. So I guess that what we're doing is relating the financials that they receive or are within their cash book, whatever that may be, your um, and relating that to the production on farm and us being that middle ground that can communicate the two, I guess, which I guess sometimes uh, has has been a bit of a lack of something that has been provided to these guys in the past. So I guess helping helping build the understanding there, yeah. So you you, you touched on that point. It's a really important point, I think, for every, every – or not every – Every business, really, not just in in agriculture, but that really that difference between, say, a P&L and balance sheet that you might get from your accountant, which we all love because they make sure we don't pay too much tax to the government. But there is a fundamental difference between those reports and essentially a management accounting reports that you use to make business decisions. Can you just quickly touch on the, those key differences? Yep. No, so we typically look at two different reports um, when assessing the financials of a business, a cash flow report, which is just a true transactionary report, money in, money out, um, and a surplus deficit at the end of the period. And in addition to that, we've got our own profit reporting report. So what this looks at is the income and expenses captured within that year. So for example, and it's it's very important within a broad acre business when you've got money for grain coming in, uh, you know, outside of your budgeting period, for example. And the same applies to these guys if they've got money coming in for produce, which is captured outside of, say, the financial year, for example. So it captures all the income and expenses for the year of effort and then also includes overhead expenses. So that includes your depreciation, higher purchase, other finance costs, drawings, and capital expenditure as well, which is is often skewed in those reports as as those uh, values uh, are utilised for tax minimisation rather than representing the true cost that they apply to the business. Yeah, and that's a really big point. They're both really important functions of the business. Minimising tax is obviously super important, but also, it, but but we've got to not confuse that with true profitability because they're they're very different numbers. That's right. And, and I mean, and I don't want it to seem because we, we have very good relationships with, with accountants and, 
and working with clients as well. And we're not trying to discount that in any way. Accountants work is highly important for, for that side of things and structural um, benefits to the business, which is uh, outside of our realm of knowledge to a certain degree as well. So um, what we do is apply the knowledge and work with accountants and work with agronomists. And uh, I guess a bit we're a bit of that middle ground that's uh, really that on-farm applicable knowledge and helping you guys understand. Yeah, no, it's really good. Um, so one of the things that jumped out for me from the, those two reports is one of the things, and I think I've seen this in the Broadacre reports before, this is really um, counterintuitive thing that you think. So the um, the 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 top producers, the you know that top twenty five percent, are really outperforming the average and the bottom quite significantly. But when you look at their operating expenses or their opex, it doesn't seem to be that much different. Um, can you explain, you know, because everyone would also think that oh well they're growing more, they must be putting more on or have a more expensive something. Um, but it doesn't seem to run true in the numbers. So can you explain what's happening on happening there with the growers? Yeah, definitely. And I think that, and even through conversations with a lot of clients, is that there's a perception that you've got to spend less to make more. It's not necessarily the case. It's about how you utilise that spending to optimise your efficiency and drive an increase in revenue. So what those guys are doing, they're... they're, they're typically spending the same amount on, for example, your input costs. And, of course, that that's increased significantly over the last 12 to 18 months, uh, particularly in the areas of your fuel, fertiliser and chemical, which are typically high uh, expenses within the businesses. So it, it's pretty much a level playing field between the bottom 25% and the top 25% in those areas. It's more so around how the top 25% are driving an increase in revenue is is where the difference lies. And that comes through a range of different factors, including, you know, the, your agronomy, your timing of various different uh, on-farm events, the application of those inputs, your harvesting, how you're looking after the crops, um, your relationships with various markets throughout the industry, um, and being able to lock in good good prices, which I'm sure resonates a lot with with broadacre growers as well. Um, the importance of you know assessing your markets and uh, locking in good prices and optimizing your revenue that way. So I guess that, that that's where the main difference lies is purely operational and probably that higher level management side of things is where the difference lies rather than you know trying to slash costs anywhere. Yeah, so it's a little bit more sophisticated, like you said, and we'll, and I think we'll we'll touch on that um, a bit later. But it's it's not just one thing. It's not like oh, these people just got their fertilizers cheaper than the guy next door. They're, yeah, it's 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 multifaceted. It's marketing, it's financial management, it's operational efficiency, like you know rotations, and so it's it, you're saying it's there's a whole lot of little things that they do well that really makes that massive difference. Yeah, definitely, and I mean that it's not to discount the the value that you know, getting fertiliser or chemical at a cheaper price can do to your bottom line. But I think longer term, it, it's not where the difference lies. It might be a uh, good punt that you had that year in for mm. buying some fertiliser and locking it in. But longer term, it comes down to those true management 
processes and systemizing things and recording things and having a labor force that's, you know, uh, got your goals and uh, interests aligned uh, are, are things that play or, or add the most value to the business. And I think the good thing about it is what can we learn? So the whole point here is not saying, you know, this person's better than that person, but it's really about learnings. And so are you finding it's very easy for us as businesses to look at another business and go, oh, well, they just had a good year or they just had, you know, a good buy or whatever. You've been doing these benchmarks since 2015. Are you seeing a consistent type of, do, do the top performers perform by and large consistently well across those years? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that, that it's probably as a result of those characteristics that we've just set out a, a second ago. And there's there's a definite group of uh, producers that, that lie within that top 25% year on year. There are also a group that sort of fluctuates, I guess, between the average and the top 25%. And then again, probably a separate group uh at this stage that are lie at the bottom end which we're trying to work with and you know apply some of the knowledge of these top 25 producers to their businesses to bring them up and i think that that's also what's important to remember is that the participants that we've currently got in this uh project are the ones that have opted to come in and show an interest in progressing the business. So in reality, they're probably the top 25% producers <laughs> of the yeah. top 25%, you know. So uh, I don't think it's a real true indication just yet of the industry as a whole. So they're, they're more like a, the top 25% of this report might be the top, you know, 4 to 5% in reality of the whole industry. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, I mean, it's it's that's um, – Saying something, and these producers that we do have within our top twenty-five percent are really successful businesses, and a lot of them have been highly successful businesses, even you know, well and truly prior to us coming in and providing any type of advice. So, I actually want to touch on the habits of these businesses because we always want to look at people and go, okay, what are they doing that I could adopt and maybe get some quick wins. But before we get into that, let's let's quickly touch on the key findings with the two industries, right? So, can you just take us through the you know the really big key findings? We talk about these differences. So, you had operation operational um, efficiency. We had return on capital. There's a few biggies in there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just touch on those quickly to show that the, these differences in those those areas. Yeah, definitely. So, um, look, uh, like you said, operating efficiency is probably our major metric that we touch on. And just for those that aren't aware of what operating efficiency is, it's it's effectively your operating expenses as a percentage of uh, your operating income or your farm income. So, in in the broadacre industry, we're typically aiming that to be at around sixty five percent. So. For every 65 cents that you spend, you're, you're making a dollar effectively. In the broadacre industry, I mean, sorry, in the horticultural industry, uh, our target there is 70 cents in the dollar or 70% operating efficiency. Now, when we're discussing the difference between the top 25% and the average, uh, the top 25% are highly efficient in that their their operating efficiency is around about 65%, whereas the average for the vegetable industry is around about 80%, which means that they've effectively only got 20 cents in the dollar to 
spend on all our overheads, including, you know, your depreciation, your drawings, your finance costs, HPs, and trying to retain a small amount of uh, retained earnings effectively to continue to scale or put the business in a better position. So it's making things pretty tight. Yeah, and that goes to the point. So why should people care? And you just mentioned that. Like having keeping 20% of all your revenue sounds great um, until you've got to pay all your costs out of that. <laughs> um, and um, so there's not much usually left over after that, is there? No, and that's exactly right. And I think that what's important to remember is that, yes, we have got that 20% left over, which might sound good, but for some of these businesses and depending on your scale, that's that's still a lot of money that you've got to cover uh, and those costs are going to be there before you even wake up in the morning. Those are the costs that aren't going away anytime soon. If you have a good year or a bad year, those overhead expenses remain there. So that's why it's really important to maintain a solid margin of around 35 to or 30 to 35 cents in a dollar to be able to sufficiently cover those overheads in a good or a bad year. Um, so in um – so in horticulture, what, what do you think the big drivers of profitability are? If we could summarise in the report, you mentioned these are the big drivers of profitability in the, you know, because people listening here go, well, that's great. I don't know what I am yet, unless they're part of the program with you. Yep. Um, you know, what are the big drivers that I could focus on or have a, a think about? Yeah, so I, <clears throat> I guess that the main the main focus is revenue. So the, the two things that play into revenue are yield and the price per kilo or ton or whatever metric it is that you're achieving for your product. So what plays into that is, I guess, from one side is the saleable yield. So there's a variety of factors that play into that, including, I guess, nutrition, uh, land preparation, the timing of application of inputs and your harvest processes or practices. Um Another key factor in the other side with, with pricing is market access. And I often hear, you know, some of my clients saying, you know, oh, we're, we're a small scale producer and we can't get those big contracts with your coals or your woolies that, and you know, that, that those aren't always good contracts either from what yeah. we've seen. Um, they don't worry. They're taking their look at the margin as well, but. That there's there's other opportunities and it, it may just think uh, it may be more about thinking outside the box a little bit approaching your IGAs or um, making some better relationships at market um, that are giving you more of a fixed rate continuity that you can really start to build some financial confidence I guess um, when, when setting out your year ahead or making making decisions. And from someone from someone like me from a broad acre space, one of the things I just heard there is a saleable yield, which is for me like I'm I come from a, a wheat, you know, mixed grains and sheep background. So this whole concept of saleable yields a really interesting one. So you might get X tons per hectare of whatever produce you're growing. Yep. But you're really only like I always say in ag, it doesn't matter what you grow, it's all measured in money at the end of the day. Yeah. So it's what you can get money for, isn't it? That's right. And I think I, I probably should have touched on that point of saleable yield a little bit more and the fact that there's a, <clears throat> a huge um, difference between the price achieved for a quality product uh, versus a low quality product. 
and that might be a 50 to 75 percent price discount if you don't achieve that top grade so wow. a, a large emphasis on i guess uh producing a quality product at a large scale is going to be one of the major factors in in uh you know increasing your revenue and effectively increasing your profit wow now just quickly that was touched on the, the poem industry so now i noticed there that the, the, the profitability drivers in the report were similar, but there seemed to be a big difference. Again, the top 25%, the OPEX was larger for the top home growers. It, can you run us through that? So it wasn't exactly the same as vegetables. It was similar, but a little different. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good point, Dave, because what we've found is a little bit of the opposite in terms of pricing in the home industry. So pricing achieved between the top 25% and the bottom 25% was virtually identical. So just think, for example, for your apples, the bottom 25 producers getting $2.50 a kilo uh, and the top 25 producers still getting $2.50 a kilo. So their major driver is either to increase saleable yield or to reduce costs. And the reduction of costs comes in a lot of ways through the systemization of of that operation. So that means implementing uh, processes within the business that increase the efficiency. So it might be through monitoring, pruning, uh, monitoring, harvesting of, of an individual and, and making sure that all those little factors are playing into it really well. And I guess there's a, still a heavy focus on the agronomy and potentially cutting costs there, but we still find that the major factor in the top 25% of businesses is their ability to um, increase saleable yield. And that's through a variety of factors, which we might touch on if we've got a second as well. Yeah. So I really wanted to say, if I'm if I'm a, a, a pone grower or a, a vegetable grower listening to this, or even a broad acre, so the principles are similar, is I want to look at that and go, okay, I'm looking, I look at that top 25% and go, I'm, I'll be asking myself, so how do I become top 25%? How do I do that? So let's touch on the, on this podcast, really the people we're interviewing is what are the top people doing? Because mm. we always want to look to that. So what are the top 25% consistently doing better? than I say the average you know what are the because you're saying before at the beginning of the podcast it wasn't one thing it was lots of things so what are these these things yeah so again it's a it's a, a range of contributing factors uh as I just touched on it around saleable yield and there's a range of factors that again fall within saleable yield surrounding your nutrition um the ability to harvest it on time and the timing of other activities on farm but we find that one of the other key factors or characteristics of the top 25 percent is their ability to invest capital in a way that increases uh, or or protects the crop so that may be in the form of netting in particular um, there's a range of different styles of netting but it's it's mostly around the protection from birds and hail strike so um Th those those factors uh, protecting the crop from those pr factors throughout the year and th those are natural events that can be 
uh, I guess, mitigated through capital expenditure. And that, that seems to be a, a major characteristic, which is benefiting those top 25% producers. Yeah, definitely. Now, this is a classic one. Comes down to money again. So you're looking at a grower and going, God, I'm not going to spend hundreds of thousands or probably I assume in some cases millions on, on crop protection in the context of physical crop protection. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like you're saying, the, the, the gross margin difference is phenomenal. Yeah. So is it about the, 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 the businesses that are investing in this capital just know their numbers really well? They know they're willing to spend half a million, a million, whatever, the, or maybe it's 50000 I don't know, on physical crop protection, but they're going to get a return of X. So it's, it's cheap in hindsight, or not in hindsight, but in, in the numbers. Yeah, and I think that that's that's the real value that we've we've been able to add to growers is through displaying the yield, the potential yield penalty or what these top twenty five percent producers are getting through it, and being able to justify capital expenditure through, uh, I guess, viability and return on investment uh, reporting. So. Uh, what it comes down to is determining, you know, I can take my yield, for example, from 30,000 uh, kilos a hectare for your apples to 40 to 45,000 hectares, uh, I mean 45,000 kilos per hectare for apples through implementing this capital expenditure. What's that going to do over a period of 10 years? And the return on investments quite likely going to exceed what the potential yield pen- penalty was from previously, so. so so here's a good point I've just picked up. The difference between maybe the top and the bottom is the OPEX isn't different, but the way they invest capital is seems to be very different. So they're, they're, they're this you've got it in your report, we haven't really touched on it today, but this this concept of return on capital invested or just return on capital is really important here. So this idea that the top twenty five percent or even you know the better performers have got a much better return on capital. Can you just quickly explain that? Because you touched on it about investment. Yeah. 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 So I mean, when you look at it, and obviously as a result of implementing this capital. The, the initial return may not be as great. And because you've got more capital for the money to be returned on, the percentage might be a little bit smaller. But in terms of the scale and the, the long-term effects of that, um, you know, if, if you say that you've implemented that over a space of 10 years, you might have that, that capital paid off in three to five years. And then you're wreaking the benefits of an extra 15,000 kilos to the hectare of revenue. So it's really about looking at a, a long-term approach rather than a single-year return on capital, I guess, and that's where our reporting is really valuable from a six- to ten-year um, collation of data to see how the business has progressed and also helps with decision-making moving further into the future. Yeah, that's the thing. So in... Um uh, I had a, a podcast uh, a, a few episodes ago and it was talking about this idea of when you have money to invest, do you invest in more land or do you invest in improving the land you have? And that was another form of capital investment, wasn't it? So investing in, like you said, crop protection or even in soil health, you know. So we see that in Broadacre, don't we? We see people pouring a lot of money into soil health, but I assume in horticulture and the palm industry would be very similar. Yeah, definitely. And I mean that they're not just 
magically creating more land and unless you've got a substantial amount of money it's becoming more or increasingly difficult to acquire that land so it's more so about land utilization and their their ability to implement crop rotations effect effectively um, implement the timing of events uh, effectively as well to optimize uh, saleable yield so it's it's more so around those factors and I've even got a client that I've been working with pretty closely in recent times that is uh, relatively close to metropolitan Perth, um, a small-scale sort of market garden business, for example. And don't get me wrong, these guys are still making good money. Uh, I think there's a perception that these little market garden businesses are not making any money, but don't worry, they are. Um, however, he, he's identified that, yes, we haven't got any more land, so how do we use this land better? And he said, if I could manage, he just doesn't have the time, if I could manage to apply my fertiliser, chemical and harvest when I need to, I could increase my revenue by 20 to 25%. Now, on a business of that scale, you're, you're kind of looking at somewhere between four fifty dollars to $500,000 a year. And it was a pretty simple discussion in the end surrounding, all right, how do we do that? All right, we might have to employ employ another farm manager that has the ability to do those processes, and you go, how can I warrant an extra hundred or one hundred and fifty grand on employing a quality farm manager? But when you look at the return on investment of five hundred thousand dollars, you're effectively doing less work, retaining three hundred and fifty grand, and outsourcing the rest. So it's a pretty simple decision. It is simple. So that's a great point. When we're looking about investing capital, it could be soil health, it could be equipment, it could be people, couldn't it? It's just, yeah. you know, it's like, I mean, it's every business that you came back to OPEX at the end of the day. It's turning, you know, 50 cents into a dollar, really, regardless of how you look at it, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's right. And if any investor could turn 150 into 500, then I think it's a pretty, pretty good option. So. <laughs> You know, and and it's exactly that point, Dave. Is the fact that it's it's not one size fits all when it when it comes to this sort of a service. It's it's really about us getting in and sitting down with the stakeholders within the business and getting to understand where you're potentially being limited and where you want to go in the future. Like he might not care uh, about scaling or progressing or making more money, but in that case, he did. And we we identified that they're not just growing more land; that it's not magically appearing. So, what can we do from that land to increase revenue and take a few jobs off your plate? So, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, let's talk about um, just a couple of things to finish with. Um, Everything we've talked about is how to increase profitability stuff. So, you get a new client tomorrow, and they're going, uh, Bronson, I want to do. You know, I want to achieve some of these benchmarks within the report that I've read your report, etc. Um, and but I don't know my return. I don't know this. So, where do you start with those clients? What are the fundamentals of that? You know, that financial or business management. You sit down. Okay, okay. We got these are the easy wins uh, that you start with. Yeah. So I think it's what's really important is the fact that it's we we don't just come in and we're not just telling you uh, as a grower what what to do. We come down and we, we sit with you and we work through the process with you. So that might be from extracting your reports from your cash book, um, 
identifying or grabbing all your production data and putting that through our systems. And I think what's really important to understand is that we walk through all these reports step-by-step with the grower to understand or to ensure that they understand what's actually happening within the business. And then from there, we have the ability to use our prior knowledge of work with with other growers uh, in collaboration with our benchmarks that we've been able to produce, depending on the industry, from two to five years' worth of data there as well, to potentially identify areas within the business that are lacking efficiency um, and that we can potentially cut costs, I guess, initially, even though that that's not a major factor, but there might be some some big things that just jump out at us and you go, all right, we can potentially decrease your interest rate, which might not be the case at the moment, but just just for an example. And then from there, we I guess we get into the more technical conversations surrounding where you're at now, where do you want to get to, and how do we get there? And obviously, as I suggested earlier, it's not one one size fits all, but even through the examples that we've discussed today, there's there's various different processes and systems or ideas that we can implement to to get you to that uh to that point wherever it may be that you want to get to so you just start off it is kind of like you fundamentally want to understand the numbers of the business and you know and how to drive them i think that that's that's the key part of this this project and it's it's purely that it's building horticulture business capacity so these guys are not on a level, I guess, of financial understanding or the work that we do with uh, compared to a broadacre producer which has had a farm consultant within working with them for 25, 30 years, uh, their understanding's not on that level. So it's more so about asking those tougher questions or making sure that they understand the financials and the production and how they relate prior to you know, making any large structural changes to the processes within the business. Good. Um, have you got any? Uh, what's your famous? Your not your famous. Your your uh, a success story that really sticks out with you. Since you know, you've got a lot of growers. You've got well, you've obviously got the people who are kicking ass all the time, and then you've got the people who made the biggest improvement. Have you got any good success stories that you've that you've uh, have got through the program so far? Yeah, and I, th- of course there's a fair few and it's, it's really good to be able to build relationships with these people now. But I think that one thing that really jumped out to us initially was it was along the lines of those Coles and Woolies guys that just stitch guys up in the fine print a lot of the time. So what, what it was, I just think of one example that we've been able to save guys uh, a lot of money. I won't say exactly how much because it might disclose who the producer was. But um, it, there's there's this uh, there's this cost that was incurred. It was called a discount on early payment. Uh, it, it was a discount. So what what it was was that Coles and Woolies were effectively charging these people two percent for paying their bills within thirty days. So these guys would take sending their onions and whatever it was to Coles and Woolies. Uh, Coles and Woolies were paying the invoice within 30 days and effectively charging a 2% difference back to these producers. Now, that was adding up to, I'll say it was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars for, for, for that little fine print thing that they weren't even really aware of that was happening. And, and they would just go, oh, it was... 
it's it's just a cost that that we accept. And I said, well, why why are we accepting this? This is costing you thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, let's go back to them. And we've since been able to renegotiate with Calls and Woolies and get rid of that agreement, which is which has been a really good success, along with increasing their prices as well. So, um, I mean, you know. There's a there's a wide range of examples, but I guess that that's one financially that we've had real good success with initially. Just goes to show, check the fire print. I've never known of someone to be incentivized or discounted for getting their money early. I know it's it's incredible. So, mate, just to finish off, I want to I, I always ask guests a couple of last things to finish with. Right? So, first of all, the biggest myth or misunderstanding that you hear about agriculture from people outside the industry. So. You know, you, me, people inside the industry see agriculture in a different way, but from the outside, it's often seen very differently. So what do you reckon one of the greatest myths or misunderstandings that you commonly come across? Yeah, it's a really good question, Dave, because I was actually just having this conversation with one of our senior consultants uh, yesterday morning surrounding the net worth of some of these individuals now. And I think that the perception uh, from the outside or from outside of the industry is that these are old leathery men uh, that are strolling around in flannelette shirts and ripped jeans and you know even though that that might be how how they might be on farm a lot of the time that it's not a good representation of the industry you know there's a diverse range of employees managers and farm businesses that are, that are happening now and just just to give an example of how much these guys have increased in, in net worth over the past few years. And this is a broad acre example, obviously, but, you know, someone in 2018, we just recently had a review, uh, had an equity balance of 11 million, which is really good. They, these are already really wealthy people. However, you know, over a period of five years with really good, with some really good seasons coupled with um, an increase in land values, that business is now worth $35 million. In the space of five years, it's increased by $24 million, which is just staggering. Now, when you think of a $35 million business, I don't think your mind instantly clicks to a farmer. Um, and I think that that's, that's where the difference is. You know, you think of these really big businesses in the middle of the city or something, but I think what's really important to remember now is that these are highly sophisticated and well-managed, large-scale businesses now, um, f- for the most part. And while that they're, they're, they're not all at that scale, um, I think that there's a perception that these are just guys that run around digging up ground and driving around in tractors when that's not really the case in this day and age. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is like I always find it when people join our business or you probably get the same in your business or outside of ag, the first thing that really surprised them is the size and sophistication of the clients. Yeah. Um, um, I think the clients like to, but the thing is the client, if they ever juice, they ever go, what are you doing? You might have a client that turns over $35, $40 million and someone says, what do you do? I'm just a farmer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, and I do love that, love that about it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Last question, mate. So when you're not knee-deep in ag, what do you do with yourself, mate? So everyone's going to have a life outside of ag. What's yours? Yeah, we, we wish, Dave, but um, we, uh, <laughs> I, I um, obviously enjoy uh, maintaining a relatively healthy lifestyle wherever possible. I like my sport, uh, footy, and 
basketball wherever possible, um, keeping active. But I, I've recently found a real interest in, I guess, trying to extend uh, my knowledge outside of agriculture as much as possible um, through I like to read a lot. Uh, I enjoy listening to podcasts and just trying to build, you know, my knowledge and an understanding of areas outside of your everyday business and wherever that may be. Um, and then, you know, applying that to your life and your partners or your, your family and it might even apply in some way to your clients as well. So I really enjoy, um, I guess, educating myself as much as possible outside of agriculture as well. That's great, mate. Now, um, hopefully there's a bunch of growers around Australia who are listening to this and they're going, gee, I want to get, get into that. So um, so how do, can growers get involved in the program now? Um, and if so, who do they contact? Do they contact you guys at Plan Farm or can they get involved or get the report even to get a start? Yeah, definitely. So there is a report initially available. We'll just start on that if you just wanted to get a taste of uh, the numbers and what what the overall report looks like at um, the Building Horticulture Business Capacity website. So if you just Google that, uh, it'll pop up and you'll be able to download a free report. And there's also some commentary around that. So um, our project manager at Vegetables WA, Bryn Edwards, and one of our uh, directors at Plan Farm, um, Paul Omiday, having a bit of a discussion surrounding some of the results as well. So that'll be a great initial view if you're a bit um, on the fence however if you're really interested in jumping in and have even having a bit of a chat to uh, either myself or someone else at plan farm uh, just reach out to us uh, at our contacts just at planfarm.com.au um, i'm not sure if we have any other details circulating but you know if if you look us up you'll be easily able to find uh, one of us and, and get in contact and if you don't come to me directly, uh, I'm sure someone will be able to po- point you in the right direction. Yeah, I think what we'll do to everyone listening is we'll put them in the show notes at the bottom. We'll yeah, put a link to awesome. the, 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 the uh, Building a Horticultural Business Capacity website and also yep. to uh, yourself in um, in the uh, Fog Plant Farm as well. Awesome there. That will be really good, Dave. Well, good, mate. Well, uh, Bronson, thanks for your time, mate. I know it's a busy time for you. We had to delay this a few times because it's a really busy time <laughs> of the year. Yeah. Um, and so really thanks for giving us the time um, to to tell us all about this. And um, uh, we look forward to next year's report and seeing how things change in the next season for all these growers. Yeah, no, no, it sounds great, Dave. And hopefully we can get a few clients on the AgriMaster, which we love. It's uh, it's awesome <laughs> for our reporting as well. So, no, I really appreciate your time and being able to have a chat today. Good on you, mate. Thanks, Bronson. Thanks, mate. As always, if you'd like to know more about AgriMaster farm business management software and services, you can find us at www.agrimaster.com.au or you can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. My aim with this podcast is to make it the most useful podcast you listen to and to help every farm business thrive. So if you like this episode, please take the time to share it on social media or even better, directly with at least one friend today. Plus, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as it really helps us reach more farm businesses like you. So together, we can make all farm businesses strong farm businesses. Thank you.